Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here with Gospel App Ministries, and I'm going to run this particular podcast on both the Gospel Rant podcast and Haven't Heard That Before podcast. Uh, the Haven't Heard That Before podcast is for uh, gospel and mental health issues and situations. Uh, the Gospel Rant is just me ranting uh, related to the gospel. Not a problem. Okay, so we're going to look at the question, is God angry with me or God, can God be angry with me. And there's an epidemic of this feeling in the church, likely in the pew next to you or the seat next to you. And I get it. I'm no stranger to that feeling. It, it's just not true, right? If you're a Christian, God can't be angry with you. He is not angry with you. He will not be angry with you or disappointed in you because he was angry at you in Christ already 2,000 years ago. It's finished. So he will not do it again. But from our perspective, the stuff going on in our midbrain, that nasty critical voice, it sure feels like it sometimes, and we suspect it, we wonder it, we even believe it sometimes. I mean, shame just beats us up. And that nasty critical voice is crushing on this one. Now, to be absolutely clear, God could be, I mean, all things equal. He is a screaming perfectionist. And I mean that humanly speaking, with all due respect, the wages of any and all, even microscopic sin or microscopic falling short, the wages of that is death. And we we do that all the time, 24-7. So what do we do? It's a, it's a lie that God will be angry at us, right? But it's what I feel or fear. So now what? Good news. Let me begin by using a recent article, August 13th, from the Biblical Counseling Coalition, BCC. And here's the title, I Feel As If God Is Perpetually Angry With Me, How False Theology Impacts Counselees from a Christian Counselor. Uh, Caroline Newhauser, Caroline, who general counsels women, she says, starts off correctly by saying this, quote, each week, I meet with women who have various difficulties. Some struggle with perfectionism, which makes them feel as if they can never reach their goals. Others have eating disorders consisting of self-made rules that lead to defeat and self-criticism. A few suffer from severe health problems or have health concerns about their loved ones, making joy seem unattainable. Other women feel as if they will always be single and miss out on the happiness they see in couples and mothers. These struggles begin with different presentation problems, but they each have underlying presupposition that lead the sufferer into wrong thinking. These women join together in saying, I feel as if God is perpetually angry with me. Close quote. I, th I think the article is really written well. I recommend it to you. I would uh, lay, put some layers on top of her thoughts and a little addition here and there, which I'll, I'll talk about. But She's identified and helped us see clearly one of the cries of the age in the church from women, but also I would say from men and, and spiritual daddy issues as well, right? And I have little doubt that this will become even worse in the weeks and months to come post-COVID because stress, anxiety, magnify such feelings, real or not, um, and the church is growing weaker and weaker, it seems, in the United States. So I want to summarize her five points, but also add a very important sixth point that is so often overlooked, and I think she would agree it's critical and so helpful, uh, and it's really related to the gospel. All right, I hope I hope so. In fact, I would love to chat with her about it. This is not to take anything away from her five excellent points. All right, here is her summary of the problem. Quote, as we meet with sufferers like these, let's incorporate theology into our counseling. It's easy to talk about what they need to do, 
uh, and verses to apply to their problems, all the while missing their mistaken view of God. See, I know I'm falling, I myself am falling into this trap. She's sorry. I know I find myself falling into this trap. I can stress applied sanctification and de-emphasize theology. Let's consider the reason for this tendency to teach good works and downplay theology. The best counselors are caring people who like to solve problems using the Word of God. They have seen counselees change for the better through obedience to God's commands, and this can lead to an overuse of Ephesians 4, to 24 emphasizing the putting off bad behavior and putting on good behavior. And it's important to take a step back, she says, and assess the theological weakness of those we seek to help. It's time to dig deeper to find the errors in their view of God, which lead to their discouragement. Close quote. Right? And and yeah, I cringe when we overuse, overstate, overapply Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, because there's some things in my midbrain that happen that I can't just put off. It's like an addict. I can't just stop. I can't just choose to to add on good behavior. There's something in my midbrain that's, that's driven by powerful cycles and habits and chemicals that my prefrontal cortex, my choice, my free will doesn't seem to have a lot of power over. But I have the spirit in my inner being, and, and we'll get to that. That's my sixth point. <clears throat> All right. But in the meantime, here is her five points for counselors that can help hurting women, and by the way, hurting men. First, much of Christian literature and teaching emphasizes emotional experiences, but is theologically weak. At Gospel App Ministries, we spend a great deal of time studying theology, but also researching the latest and greatest of neuroscience. And we have come to believe that in our post-enlightenment culture, we wildly overemphasize the cognitive, the rational, the reason, all the frontal lobe stuff, prefrontal cortex. And we de-emphasize and even vilify emotions, the emotional, the emotional part of my brain. We almost write it off. We certainly think that my prefrontal cortex is the king of the brain, which, man, that's just not true. I mean, in one, one, some ways it is, but in most of the ways, it's the weakest part of our brain. I mean, just try to, try to change, try to love, try to not be angry, those kind of things. But the truth is the midbrain is the place in our brain with the real muscles though most subconscious, and certainly hidden from our prefrontal cortex's purview. So there is the powerful fear cycle, fight, flight, freeze, ignited by the powerful hormone cortisol or amygdala, right, in our midbrain. There's the reward cycle, the foundation for all addictions, and so many of our choices, and, and particularly the bad ones, and that's empowered by the effective hormone dopamine in the midbrain. And then there's the relational sexual bonding uh, cycle from our nucleus accumbens, our so-called pleasure center, which is laced with the powerful hormone oxytocin. All of those things powerfully proceed without or with the prefrontal cortex's approval or even awareness. Right? What is the hormone or chemical behind our PFC and, and its choice or the wills or our reasons? Crickets. Very, very little. I mean, it's the David and Goliath thing happening with the prefrontal cortex. So we need to see in ourselves and our clients, uh, our friends, family, mirrors, a real balance between the rational and emotional parts of our brain. And by the way, our hippocampus, also in the midbrain, is generally where all of the hurtful memories are stored, the memory along with the emotion. So when that's triggered, uh, typically a fear cycle uh, erupts and the cortisol chemically shuts down our prefrontal cortex for a time, meaning even though I'm thinking I'm being rational. I'm not, um, but I really think I am. So 
What are we to say to the person whose fear of their father or shame due to the sense that they've fallen short of their father's expectation or that their father is angry or disappointed in them or worse, or God is any of those? See, we should be aware and can begin the path to help our clients know better that what's going on in their head is a mix, a blender of reactionary chemicals that are igniting feelings, somatic experiences, thoughts, and it's way more complicated than most of us are aware or willing to imagine. And then, of course, there's point number six that you'll see, which is of a huge help. All right, uh, point number two of the article. Some counselees are confused about the unity of God in both the Old and New Testaments. Amen. And I'm so glad she said it. It's true. There's this popular dichotomy between the so-called God of the Old Testament and Jesus, the God of the New. And I get it that it's complicated and the whole Trinity thing is over, over my pay grade. But to be clear, it's the same deity, the same God. The anger over sin of the Old and the New Testament is the same. The grace and love of God is the same. Old and New Testament, the heart of God, same. In my first book, co-authored with Colleen Pepper, was on the love of God manifested in the Song of Songs. So I recommend The Kiss of God to you. You can get it at the website, gospel-app.com. It's mind-blowing. It's so encouraging, and you get a a different image from, from the typical one of the God of the Old Testament. And we've tried to capture the gospel in that book that deals with with both Old and New Testament for today's Christian audience, right? Uh, and, and here is that gospel. It's in Old Testament and New Testament. It was made sure in the New Testament because of Jesus, right? But it's the heart of God in the Old Testament. Here it is. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God absolutely loves you. He does love you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. Have you experienced it more now? Simple. How do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There's something that you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the Spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. So look, the rage and anger of God for Jesus followers is 100% dealt with in the first line, strictly strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago. See, now God technically, legally has to love you. That's, I mean, humanly speaking, right? I mean, he does, is the idea. He set, he set up the program and he's playing it out. And this was his will. This is his desire, right? He, he, he loves you and he cannot ever be angry. He will not ever be angry or even disappointed in you because he was already angry and disappointed at you in Jesus. And there's no room for any confusing. Uh, how do we get the good news into our midbrain? Man, because it's so unlike anything here. It's just drip, drip, drip. It's emotional versus rational. Saying this simple, uncluttered gospel aloud over and over multiple times a day, it seems to work for a lot of people, right? A little or a lot. All right, point number three. Christians can tend to tie their view of God to how they were treated by their earthly fathers. Yeah, that's really good. And it, unle- it unleashes a cycle of chicken and the egg. And it's, it's a brain thing, largely. Attachment theory counselors posit that trauma rewires our brain, our midbrain primarily, and creates inner working models that shape us and our reactions and our reactionary behaviors for decades. It's predictive, not not uh, 
frozen, but it's, it's very predictive. The prefrontal cortex just has little power over these inner working models. So it's safe to say that we lack the capacity most of the time or the muscle groups to change our inner working models must, much. Are we stuck? Well, no. I'm just saying that we can't seem to do it on our own power very well. Uh, maybe some short-term success, but, you know, it bounces back. But it can be done. See point number six. Point number four. Some counselees lean so hard against cheap grace that they find it difficult to, to see grace at all. <laughs> I love it. See, I've been in ministry long enough to see a few pendulum swings in this area. So many imply that grace is a spectrum with no grace, legalism on the one side, and cheap grace, antinomianism on the other side. I get that as an image, but theologically, I think it's insufficient. Whether we believe it or not, that spectrum largely defines our self-effort related to grace or caring or empathy, uh, et cetera, right? It's my effort that, that takes me one way or another on the spectrum. So it's largely deistic, right? God's distant. He's not involved. Or worse, and this is what I've been arguing on the Gospel Rant, it's secular humanism. It doesn't need power from God, right, to improve your. It's, it's up to you. It's on your shoulders. Anyhow, we speak of praying for God to help, but isn't that pretty lukewarm, honestly, biblically? See, I suggest that biblical grace is the miracle of God. It always is a miracle of God. It's an ongoing miracle of the Holy Spirit in our inner being. It's one of his fruits, not ours, ever. As a matter of fact, in, in so many of the grace verses, you can just put Holy Spirit there, or Holy Spirit working, or Holy Spirit works, or Holy Spirit fruits, and it's theologically the same verse. Um, right? You will begin to see that the Holy Spirit and grace are actually interchangeable because you don't have grace, biblical grace, without the Holy Spirit. And don't get me wrong, we can be more gracious. That takes human effort. We can choose to do that. So gracious little g. There's a whole lot more grace accessible to us. Power, miracle for us to experience. And it'll be noticeable, right? How do we get that? Point number six. But before we get to that, uh, here's the article's point number five. Each Christian has an enemy who seeks to move us away from focusing on the cross and the forgiveness of sin demonstrated there. Yeah. Satan is a celestial jerk. Right? And I'm being kind. The 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards calls, called him the biggest blockhead ever. Um, to be clear, we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and Satan, says Paul. And we must not overlook any of the, these, this trinity of evil. But in each case, how good do you think we are in battle against any of them? Isn't that the problem we're addressing? If I had the capacity to win this battle related to God and daddy issues, if I had levers in my brain to pull on and off switches, if I could even begin to identify the real issues or the persons involved or the, or the elusive emotions, good luck right? fighting against Satan, by the way. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't try, but come on. So if I could have done it, I would have. Many of us could say we've tried. And that's our problem. I can't do it by my own reason and choice and power and, and will. My will's not as free as I'd like to think, right, from a neuroscience background. So I need more than God's help. It's, it's like saying I've got this down 80%. Now I need God to top off my capacity to do this. No, look, I need God to make me feel I totally need God. This is uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 3, 14 to 21. I totally need God and his power to make me feel the height and width and length and depth of love of Jesus. Because for the life of me, I can't get there on my own. I've tried. But good news, point six, and I know you've been breathlessly waiting for it, asking the Holy Spirit to make me feel God's love. 
So let me graciously add this to Caroline's list, layer it on top of her other five points. And I agree the issue is foundationally theological. Caroline has given us some of the theological corrections necessary, but there is one important theological layer that helps Caroline make her point, and I think she would agree with me. And I get this from Paul, of course, Ephesians 3, but also from the reformer John Calvin, though shockingly he's not known for this. It's too bad because this was a real contribution uh, by the reverend. The secret working of the Holy Spirit in our inner being is to make us feel loved by God today. Isn't that great? Have you ever heard that? It's his passion, his wheelhouse, and he has the capacity to do it. And he's pleased to be in my inner being, right? He's continually 24-7. So if a woman or man or girl is feeling like God is angry with her or him, here's a powerful remedy. She could work harder to stop experiencing God's anger. Good luck with that, because it's not true. Uh, It's an inner brain lie, a self-deception. She can rationally uh, use her prefrontal cortex to try to reason her way out of that, but that's ignoring her midbrain's muscles and her inner working models. Or she could ask God to make her. I know we hate being made to do anything. That's that's really it's so contrary to how we think. It makes us uncomfortable. But this is what Paul said we can do, to ask God to make her through the power of the Holy Spirit in her inner being to begin to feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ toward her right now. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 again. So that sets up a real battle in her brain. It doesn't remove her midbrain and the inner working models or the, the, the inner critical voice, but it sets up a battle finally. In the one corner is her fear cycle triggering, her inner working models swirling with relational pains of the past, her wimpy reason from her prefrontal cortex. But in the other corner, the Holy Spirit who created the whole mess and is one most passionate about making her feel God's love for her as she is right now. And he has the power to do it, right? A little or a lot. If this is a strange concept to you, you know, the Holy Spirit and all, and you struggle with God issues or daddy issues or mommy issues or, or all of all of the above, I'm begging you to go through the dance, the-dance.org. It's under two hour online, gospel intensive. It, it takes into account all of Caroline's five points and the sixth. It's designed to make you feel, get you to access the power to make you feel a little bit closer to experience the height and width and length and depth of love of Christ that Jesus already purchased for you 2,000 years ago. Maybe you haven't experienced this in a long time. Maybe you've just been cynical and, and skeptical and you don't think you can anymore this side of heaven or ever because you think that God's angry at you, right? Oh, I'm begging you, try the dance. And you, you need to do nothing to prep. You just come as you are. Uh, and bring that nasty inner critical voice with you. What else are you going to do? Bring shame with you. What else are you going to do? Your skepticism, your your fears that God's angry at you. Just come. And of course, there's a fee. It's a fraction of a course of a, a, a cost of a counseling visit. It's satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it, we'll give your money back. And participants have equated the two-hour gospel intensive with three months or even six months of counseling. Right? Just, we're gratified by that, but. Don't stop the work you're already doing. Just come and dance a bit, and and you'll thank us. And by the way, there are powerful testimonies on the landing page, the-dance.org. There's average results. It's evidence-based, and so 
Uh, there's four metrics that we track, uh, how you're feeling about yourself, how you're feeling about your relationship with others, how you're feeling about your relationship with God, right? Ding, 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 ding. And also this this uh, vindication. You'll see what we mean. We're going to give you a trial. You're going to take that nasty inner critical voice to court before God. It is so eye-opening and so much fun. Uh, you'll love it, right? Um, so Caroline, thank you for your strong effort to help women who struggle with God's love towards them. It's a, it, it, it's a big issue, and I hope that my additions have only helped. Love to chat sometime. Ring me up, Bill at gospel-app.com. All right. Well, we'll see you next time on both the Gospel Rant podcast and haven't heard that before. Take heart, child of God. Hey, Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take, but I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the TMUS podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.